Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. On this episode of The Greener Way, we're joined by Stuart Investor's Senior Investment Specialist, Pablo Baruti. In addition to his long career in sustainable investing, Pablo is also the founder of Altiorum, a not-for-profit library and resource center for sustainable finance research. We're going to talk today about stewardship, uh, Pablo's passions, and this particular project, Altiorum. Pablo, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you, Rachel. So, Pablo, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more fully to the audience? Why are you so passionate about sustainable investing? Well, there's lots of dimensions to that, and a little bit to unpack. And I know that I, I need to be uh, to be fairly concise. So, what I, I guess I'd point to three main things. One is that uh, I'm very concerned about the state of the world, uh, whether they're the big existential crises that we face, uh, or the new challenges, whether it's artificial intelligence or um, social media and technology, whether it's around uh, human rights and globalised supply chains, all of pandemics, you, you can name it. And what, what's clear out of all of those things is that we need to find better ways of doing things and we need to find new ways of doing things. And regardless of what issue you might be most concerned about, uh, finance is going to play a key role in that, both in terms of the allocation of capital, financial capital, uh, to build new industries, uh, to stop funding some of the old and destructive ones, but also in providing that stewardship, that oversight in being able to say to companies and to uh, politicians and to other stakeholders that actually we're, we're here for the long term and we want to achieve really great outcomes, uh, not just for us as investors, but also um, for a more sustainable world. And I think that, uh, that that's an incredibly privileged role that we can play as an industry, and and so I really want us to uh, to to grab that with both hands. Let's just get into that a little bit further, Pablo. Um, because how does this actually work in the rubber meets the road uh, from from your perspective as an investor? Um, it sounds really good the way you outline it, but how does this actually translate into um, decisions around allocation that hopefully lead to investor return? We're quite lucky at Stewart Investors in that our entire investment philosophy across all of our of our funds is consistent. And so we're not trying to do sustainability a little bit on the side. It's that's part and parcel of what we do for every investment we make. And so before we invest in any company, we're really trying to understand, is this company making a contribution and also being able to benefit from, and I'm going to I'll, I'll go quickly into why the two are important, sustainable development. And we take quite a broad and integrated view of sustainable development. And so for us, it's very much the starting point but it's not enough either. We want to also invest in high-quality companies because to really deliver the outcomes, both for us as shareholders, but also for society and uh, and the solutions to the various problems that we face, uh, that quality of business, quality of franchise, the really high quality of the leaders and the stewards of the companies that we invest in is going to be vital because there's there's a lot of great sustainability stories with poor quality management or or uh, a poor balance sheet that that then um, finds itself bankrupt. Uh, 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 in the world, so uh, so that so that's for us is is the way that we do it, and it makes it relatively easy. I say contribute to and benefit from, and I think this is a really important um, aspect. Is that the contribution is probably clear? We can imagine the ways in which companies can deliver solutions uh, to uh, to climate, to help improve supply chains, to increase the, the circular economy. Uh, and reduce waste and, and close those loops. We can think about the role that companies play in uh, good employment practices in improving uh, or decreasing discrimination and improving diversity and inclusion. So in all of those ways, companies play a really vital role. But 
we think that if they're going to do it and they're going to do it sustainably over the long run, then they need to benefit from it as well. So what that means is it's got to be core to the business model. So it's not enough to be a soft drink manufacturer that just has a great um, policy on water conservation or, um, or employment practices because your core product is still fundamentally causing uh, diabetes and obesity. And so, uh, so your business model is misaligned with the way you make money is misaligned with those uh, contributions to sustainable development. And so we're really looking for those companies that are, are going to make money by helping the world be better. And that, that, that for us is, is part of the, the, the thing that makes it sustainable. I guess that's a really clear example, Pablo, of the difference between being strong on ESG integration and being someone that contributes to sustainable development in that example of the soft drink manufacturer that's great on water, great on recycling, but still not aligned to human development. Exactly. And there's many examples. And the obvious ones are are the ones that get all the attention because they're obvious. I think where it gets harder is uh, is when you're you're having to deal with trade-offs. And so we uh, began our investing in Asia Pacific uh, in 1988, and there's clearly human development challenges there. We're talking about uh, more than three billion people, uh, many of whom still uh, can only dream of the standard of living that we take for granted here in Australia. Um, but they also face really significant environmental challenges because they are at the front lines of climate change, of uh, of scarcity of water, of uh, pollution and plastic pollution um, in their river systems. And so uh, how do you then try to find those types of businesses which are going to help uh, give people opportunities to, to rise up out of poverty and have a, a good standard of living um, while doing it in a way that's not going to prove harmful to the planet because we ultimately we need to break that relationship that has existed for uh, the whole of the, the, the time that since the Industrial Revolution, where it may probably longer, um, where increased human development has gone on with increased uh, and negative environmental impacts. Excellent. Okay, let's get into this this wonderful, nuanced and murky area of trade-offs, Pablo, because um, I think you know, we both acknowledge that the industry right now is grappling with this issue of greenwashing and how we talk about things like alignment contributing to engagement with and this big issue of stewardship. Um, can I just ask you, for, first of all, let's talk first principles. What are engagement and stewardship from your perspectives as, as a sustainable investment professional? And then I've got a big question to ask you after that. Okay, sure. So uh, for, for us, it's very much about uh, what is our, our duty as, because we don't look at buying uh, stocks of a company as just buying tickers on a Bloomberg terminal. We recognize that we're taking a share in a business that has real impacts in the world, that employs people, that makes things. Uh, and so if you're going to take a share in a business like that, then you have some responsibilities to try and ensure that they are behaving appropriately, uh, acting with integrity uh, and that you're, as a constructive uh, member of that shareholder register, um, encouraging them to be better because we all want to be better. We all want to do better. And all businesses, there is no perfect business. And so all of them can get better. And so to us, a big part of our, the way that we think about our stewardship responsibilities is being that um, constructive voice on the shareholder register that's really trying to encourage companies to think longer term, uh, to think about what a multi-generational view of their business might look like because then a lot of the shorter-term decisions which businesses typically make today because they're looking at the next quarter or the next six months, you might think again and go, well, actually, you know what, Um, our reputation is too important to take that shortcut. 
and so we're going to actually play play the long game and invest for for that for that longer term future and and unfortunately we we often feel like we're a bit in the minority in that in that side of uh, the discussion Excellent. Well, let's just, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Pablo, on this is, you know, as we're sort of grappling with greenwashing and and dealing with what a mature, sustainable investment industry looks like in terms of the way it talks about itself and talks about the impacts that it has, can stewardship be a sword for furthering those long-term outcomes that you're talking about? Or is it a shield that investors hide behind um, in the absence of taking hard action on the companies in their portfolio? I think invariably it's both, uh, <laughs> and it just depends on uh, the timing and uh, the degree to which you're explaining what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm. And so, if you go back to the the, the actual uh, investment beliefs or philosophy of any investor, and you begin there, then the types of things that you would expect them to be doing uh, from a stewardship standpoint should be relatively clear and they should definitely be consistent with those beliefs and philosophies. And I think where you wind up having problems is where, for instance, if you say that uh, I want to invest for a net zero uh, future, I want to invest for a one and a half degree temperature outcome, the window for which is is getting vanishingly small uh, that, we, that we have to get through, uh, and yet you're still... Um, uh, you know, voting in, in favour of directors of fossil fuel companies or other things where they haven't, the companies haven't actually changed, haven't moved. Um, you've chosen to stay invested, but then you've not used uh, the, the the powers that you have as a shareholder to, to vote, uh, that fundamental power um, to bring about accountability in that respect. And so I think there there is a, an example where you could say, well, actually there's a disconnect there because mm. you can't sign up to net zero on one hand um, and then not bring about that sort of accountability on the other. Um, there's also questions about whether staying invested in, in, in at all is, is the right thing to do if the company is not able to change. And so I think the test that any investor can have, and it's only it's quite a simple three point um, test, which is that is the company able to change? And mm-hmm. so if the company is able to change, then clearly there's there's a good reason to stay engaged, to stay invested, and to try and encourage that improvement. Um, but if they're not, uh, and we all have limited resources and time, is spending your time and resources on that engagement when they're not able to make the change that you would want them to um, a, a good use of that time? And, and, and arguably, it's not. Mm. Um, the second one is is the second test is if they're able to change, are they willing to change? And so, are the management, um, the rest of the shareholder base, the other stakeholders, is the incentive structures? Does it point to a company that's actually on a journey to actually change, or mm. is it something whereby um, they're going to fight tooth and nail. And if the answer to that question is that they're going to fight tooth and nail and they're not going to want to change, then you have to ask yourself the third test, which is what are you prepared to do about it? And if um, you're not prepared to then use your vote, potentially lodge a shareholder resolution um, or exit mm. if, if you have no other means of doing that, then then if you're talking about stewardship and engagement then uh, and not doing those things, then potentially it is just a shield to hide not not doing much more. And so... Um, and I don't think it's actually a problem for investors. So say you're a broad-based investor uh, to say, well, actually, you know what, we don't think that company's at, at the point right now where they're going to change on that issue, but we're going to stay invested for whatever other reason and we can come back to that, but we're going to allocate our limited resources to something else right now. Um, it's just unfortunately not many investors are, are, are prepared to say that mm. because the pressures that we're constantly under is to try and answer every problem to have a response to every issue. And, mm. and that's uh, inherently impossible because there are 
in diversified portfolios going to be every type of issue you can imagine. Mm. So how do you, you know, is that, is this how you talk to your clients at Stewart Investors, Pablo, sort of explaining, you know, yes, we're going to focus on this resource because we think they can improve on these, these metrics. We're going to leave these in the portfolio because they're turning a good return, a good return, but we're not going to engage because they're not in a place to deal with us. So yes and yes and no. Yeah. So one one thing is that because the starting point is one where where we're investing in companies because we think they are contributing to sustainable development, um, there's got to be a base case there that we think that they're on the right path, mm. um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't serious things that we want them to do. And 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 so and we've for in- instance out of 180 odd companies that we invest in across our portfolio, we wrote to 108 of them, and we're following up with meetings mm. on. The setting of uh, targets around climate change, and so we're, it's a relatively low carbon portfolio. It's not something that um, that we feel as though uh, uh, we would have pushed hard on historically, because they are these are fairly low carbon intensity industries. Mm. But we think it's important that everybody plays a role, and so we're going to go on that journey with them and really try and encourage them mm. um, to do that. But we, we know that we're not going to be successful with all of them. We know that we're working in regions where, because the the, the primary reason we're investing in that company is the human development um, uh, benefits that they can deliver. Uh, are we going to divest on a company that's providing affordable housing solutions um, in India because they they haven't quite got to a net zero target yet? No, we, we won't. But um, but we will continue to have that conversation. And and uh, and I think at some point, if the risk becomes such that um, that it's intolerable, and sometimes it does in, in certain circumstances. Then, then we would probably um, sell out rather than than continue to engage on an issue that we think is really important, but we're not getting anywhere on. One of my favorite quotes from Shakespeare is from Hamlet, and it's the, the readiness is all. I kind of think maybe R should be added to ESG uh, for a readiness factor uh, for analysis. But we have too much jargon as it is. Let's not go into adding another initial. <laughs> No, and I, keep, I was just came back from the US, and uh, and obviously there's a lot of political discussion about ESG and actually things being legislated about ESG, mm. and I kept reflecting on it with people that it's really easy to hate a three letter acronym where ninety percent of people don't even know what it means, and so when you when you can have a conversation instead about a, about investing in companies that can deliver mm. affordable healthcare uh, or help reduce costs in the healthcare system. Or if you're investing in companies that can provide a- a- access to financial products in emerging markets or companies that are helping other companies be more efficient from an energy, water or resource perspective, that's a, it's, it's very hard to hate that as, mm-hmm. <laughs> as an idea, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's easy to hate something like ESG when, when most people don't know what it means. Yeah, I think it's a moment of reflection for uh, us in the media and comms business as to whether or not we've done a good enough job uh, sticking to uh, fundamentals and not getting caught up in the jargon. But that's another conversation. <laughs> Um, Pablo, while I still have time with you, I wanted to also ask you about your passion project, Altiorum. Um, I, you know, I, I say this as someone who's not just uh, interested in covering it, but as someone who uses the library for research when I need a little bit of extra on a sustainable investment concept. So what made you start a sideline not-for-profit? Uh, frustration, I think, <laughs> unfortunately. So it was really the the recognition that the changes that we needed to make was so large. And one of the Things that is is uh, and you see this in many many surveys around the world that uh, the level of uh, sustainability or ESG education amongst the finance sector, the millions and millions of people that work across the finance sector, is almost zero. Uh, and in a CFA Institute survey, I think only eleven percent of people said that they were proficient. 
at uh, analysing ESG issues, and, and it's given most people think they're a better than average driver. I can I can only assume that that number is even less than eleven percent. And what we wanted to do with Altiorum was to say, well, okay, so these these are complex issues. There's lots of literature out there. There's heaps of research. There's abundance of information, but it's often technical. It's too long. Um, it's hard to find. And so what can we do to try and help people who are interested in care and want to make a difference, um, give them the access to the resources in a summarized format and connected together in such a way that they can be more effective and that they don't spend that time um, trying to sort of read very long reports that are, that are incomprehensible. And so, um, so that was the base idea of it. But then what we've found as well. So um, Danella Meadows is a famous system scientist and she has this hierarchy of how you how you change a system. And the bottom of the hierarchy I think you could which which is the least effective means you could say is ESG integration because it's about the numbers and the mm-hmm. parameters. And so a lot of ESG integration has been very much around um, let's stick something in a model that mm-hmm. tells us a little bit more about how to value a company and then that that will be enough. And clearly it's not um, because it's only ever operating at the margins. Whereas at the highest levels, it's about, so the top three are changing the goals of the system, changing the paradigm and then transcending the paradigm. And so I don't claim to think that Altiorum will transcend the paradigm, but I'm hoping that we can start to engage in the debate on um, changing the goals of the system and changing the paradigm. And so we're really proud just a couple months ago to launch our first uh, original report mm-hmm. because we do collect as a library um, reports from all over the world. But we felt that there was a gap in um, what sort of business is going to thrive in a sustainable economy. And we used Kate Raworth's Donut Economics as, a, as the model for that. Mm-hmm. And we found that it's a lot more than just uh, the types of things that we typically talk about in in responsible investor land and ESG land on having better policies and doing a TCFD report or, or whatever it might be. Things like who owns the company matters. So mm-hmm. if we can bring about more community ownership, more employee ownership, then that's a, that's a distributive way of being able to create value for more people. Um, things around companies, and many people will know the Patagonia ad with the don't buy this jacket, Yeah. but companies that are able to change their business models to encourage sufficiency rather than more material throughput. Mm. And so that can come through digitization. It can come through um, circular business models, producer responsibility schemes. There's a whole range of ways in which companies can start to alter their models um, to be able to fit within that idea of a, of a sustainable economy. And so hopefully things like that, like that report, which you can visit Altiorum to find it, um, will help people look at business differently and say, okay, well, actually, what does a sustainable business really look like? Because it's definitely not um, ticking 150 boxes and getting an A-plus rating from an ESG research provider. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, uh, Pablo, I'm going to go ahead and actually drop a link to that report into the show notes for this episode because I enjoyed reading it and therefore everybody else should as well. Thank you, Pablo Baruti. A pleasure. Pablo Baruti, Stuart Investors at Altiorum. Thank you so much for your time in this edition of The Greener Way. Wonderful, Rachel. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbackis. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. 
The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.